Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. And tonight, straight from the source, no immunity. Donald Trump's claims outright rejected by a federal appeals court in what was a unanimous decision. The judges, referring to him as Citizen Trump, saying that former presidents cannot escape being held accountable for their actions while in office. All eyes are now turning to the Supreme Court. Also, that Republican effort to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary over the border just went down in flames, failing spectacularly in the House this evening. It's a major embarrassment for the House Speaker, but really for the House GOP. Also tonight, we are tracking this. For the first time ever, the parent of a school shooter has been held responsible for her actions related to her own son's murderous rampage. What it could mean for the future of school shootings in America. I'm Caitlin Collins, and this is The Source. The answer, if you're wondering, is no. A president cannot order SEAL Team 6 to assassinate his political opponent with absolute immunity from prosecution in the future. Remember that striking hypothetical that was posed just one month ago to Trump's attorney by a panel of judges that that attorney then went on and actually tried to defend, even hypothetically? Well, today, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals took a sledgehammer, not to just to that, but to really all of Donald Trump's immunity claims. The former president, whom the judges referred to in this decision as Citizen Trump, for the purposes of this case, can be criminally tried by the special counsel, Jack Smith, for trying to overturn the 2020 election. Tonight, the trial that was just taken off the calendar last week could potentially be back on that calendar very soon. Well, more on the scheduling and what that looks like in a moment. But right now, what we are seeing is Trump furiously posting on social media, continuing to float many of the same claims that were rejected by the court today, such as this one, saying, without presidential immunity, the presidency will lose its power and prestige. Contrast that with what is actually in the decision that everyone should read today, saying, quote, former President Trump's stance would collapse our system of separated powers. Trump is also arguing tonight that a president of the United States must have full immunity in order to properly function. That's not what the appeals court says, instead really just writing the opposite, saying that, quote, instead of inhibiting the president's lawful discretionary action, the prospect of federal criminal liability might instead serve as a structural benefit to deter possible abuses of power and criminal behavior. In this ruling, the three-judge panel also referred to something that was in the judge's ruling, the federal judge who is overseeing the 2020 case, that's Judge Chuck can remember, and what she said. This is from the quote from the ruling today, and I'm quoting, every president will face difficult decisions. Whether to intentionally commit a federal crime should not be one of them. Here tonight to start us off, conservative attorney who has been arguing, or who has argued, I should note before, in front of the Supreme Court, which makes us a key voice for tonight, George Conway, who also has a new piece out in The Atlantic, calling this an airtight ruling against Donald Trump. George, it's great to have you here. Why do you believe this ruling, as you put it, was masterful? 
uh, it was masterful because it combined so many elements. It combined constitutional text, uh, judicial precedent, history, and just sheer logic and, and the party's own concessions, Trump's own concessions, uh, to make just an absolutely cohesive whole uh, opinion that is just inexorably inexorably leads you to the conclusion that he is not immune. And it was just so well done. And, and it also, one other aspect of the decision, which makes it even more bulletproof, is the fact that they narrowly focused on the exact situation in this case. They, they weighed the, the potential costs of not having immunity, uh, which is what Trump talked about, which is the, the danger of a floodgate of litigation, which they, uh, of criminal litigation, which, which they poo-pooed. And they matched it up against, as they were required to do by the immunity case law, they matched it up against the public interest. And the public interest wasn't just the public interest in the enforcement generally of the criminal law, but this was the public's interest in constitutional democracy and in the peaceful transition of power. And when you weigh the two up against each other, there's just no, no, no question. So the real question here is, how does the Supreme Court read this? Because Trump's team says they do plan to appeal it. I mean, you say that that it doesn't require further review. Yeah, it doesn't because I don't, I mean, this opinion is so good and so clear, so comprehensive. There's, there's nothing in it that could be possibly attacked. And I don't see how even the Supreme Court uh, could write, I, I don't see how any judge, any court, anywhere, including the Supreme Court, could write a better opinion that more accurately states what the law is and should be. And as a result, I don't think it's worth the court's time to deal with it at this point. If, if Trump is convicted, which I think he will be, uh, they can actually review this after his conviction. And meanwhile, the, the, the Supreme Court already has its hands full. On, on Thursday, it's going to hear the argument in, in the disqualification case from Colorado, where the court, held, the, court of, the court in Colorado held that Trump couldn't be on the ballot because he was an insurrectionist. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't know what they're going to do, but let's say that the Supreme Court does take it up. Given all of the arguments that Trump's attorney made were totally eviscerated by this court today, is there a new legal argument that they could make to the Supreme Court here? They, they, no, because they, they threw everything up in the air and every single argument was methodically and systematically dismantled by this court. There is nothing left. Even the, they, the court addressed even all the bad arguments that Trump probably shouldn't have made uh, to this court. And there's just nothing. There's just nothing left to, for the Supreme Court to clean up. And I think, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm sitting on the Supreme Court, I'm thinking, we don't need this. This is fine. This is a case that can go into the judicial law books, into the case books and law schools for the next hundred years. It's that good. You write that this reminded you of the Supreme Court decision forcing Nixon to hand over the Watergate tapes. How come? Yeah, because it was a, sort of the same thing. I mean, uh, Nixon was looking for any kind of air, any kind of weakness in the opinion. And he was sitting, he was, he was up early in the morning in San Clemente and, and, and Al Haig, his chief of staff, General Haig, called him up to tell him the Supreme Court had just handed down the decision. And he asked, well, is there any, is there any air in it? Uh, Nixon asked, and Haig said, no, nothing, tight, tight as a drum. And this case, this opinion is even tighter than the Supreme Court's opinion in the United States against Nixon. And I just don't see how, 
how Trump can act, can, can get this thing overturned. He might be able to delay a little, but I, I think the Supreme Court's going to see right through that. And, and there's a good chance it may not even take this case. And if that, that's the case, then this case, this immunity appeal could be over uh, within a couple of weeks and we could have a trial as early as late May or early June. Yeah, it's a remarkable development. George Conway, fascinating piece in The Atlantic. Thank you for starting us off Thank tonight. You. And I'm joined now by an attorney who used to represent former President Donald Trump, Tim Parlatori. Welcome back to The Source. Are, are you surprised that Trump lost here? No, no, it's not surprising what the result is. Uh, I mean, I was a little bit surprised that they ruled it on the merits. I kind of thought that they may uh, go for jurisdiction and just say, you know, this is premature. Come back to us after the case is over, uh, which would have then really remove the ability to even go to the Supreme Court right now. Uh, so it did surprise me that they went to the merits, but you know, not what the bottom line was. I mean, yeah, they spent a lot of this ruling on the juris jurisdiction, if anyone's reading that. But, but on the merits itself, I mean, Trump is responding to this today by saying the presidency is going to lose power and prestige when the court says it's actually an important check on the presidency if they're not immune. Uh, he says a president must have full immunity to properly function. They say that's not supported by history or logic, that he was just carrying out his official acts. They say what's alleged is not an official act, that it was instead, they say, true, an unprecedented assault on the structure of our government. If it does go to the Supreme Court, let me ask you what I, what I asked George Conway, which is what argument does his legal team have left? You know, the big thing that I thought that this decision was kind of missing was a more uh, detailed discussion of what the left and right limits would be of immunity. Uh, I think that it kind of gave um, a little bit short shrift to the idea of, you know, when you're out of office that it doesn't, uh, doesn't apply anymore. So I think that the Supreme Court could clarify those points. Uh, and one thing to understand is that the Supreme Court doesn't just take cases to overturn them. And, you know, there was a case several years ago in the Clinton administration that the circuit decided an issue of uh, privilege and the um, the Supreme Court decided not to take it. But Justice Ginsburg gave a very strong dissent where she said issues like this that affect, you know, the privileges and immunities related to the presidency is something that should be coming from the Supreme Court, not just from the circuit. And so even if the uh, Supreme Court were to take it and affirm it entirely, it is something because it affects the president that there is you know, a belief that it should come from the Supreme Court, not just the Do circuit. you believe that? Do you think it should go to the Supreme Court after reading this opinion or this ruling today? You know, I, I, I do see a value in, in the Supreme Court uh, weighing in and potentially clarifying, you know, what, you know, what type of conduct would or wouldn't be, uh, you know, under the immunity. I don't think that it's going to affect the outcome. I don't think it's going to change, um, you know, what's going to happen in this trial. Uh, I think that the Supreme Court would have to make that decision really based on on the law and the precedent, uh, whereas a lot of people want to make the decision based on the schedule of getting the trial done before the election. But you're saying you do think the case will ultimately go to trial, even if it does go to the Supreme Court. I believe that the Supreme Court is not going to overturn it and find, you know, the blanket immunity that uh, that the former president is asking for. Okay, that's. I just wanted to make sure that's what you were saying. Uh, 
You, okay. you know Trump well. You worked for him. You represented him. There's kind of like a special class for all the attorneys who, who worked for Donald Trump, I think, just based on covering them for so long. I wonder how you think he read this today. You know, the fact that he lost, that they rejected his arguments, that they referred to him as, as citizen Trump. I mean, how would you predict he's responding to this tonight? I mean, I think that he's probably taking it more personally, um, you know, particularly the parts about citizen Trump. Uh, I think that he's uh, probably more concentrating on that. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, you know, one would hope that his lawyers and he has some very good lawyers on this particular uh, issue to to try to, you know, refocus it on, you know, just the legal aspects, you know, have, have John Sauer go in and say, you know, th this is the standard. This is what we need to more focus on than the personal. Tim Parlatori, great to have you. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you. So the question is, what is the next move here? Because Trump's team only has a few days to respond to this. Joining me now, to expert legal minds and former federal prosecutors, Shan Wu and Elliot Williams. And Elliot, one key part of this is that Trump's team has kind of been boxed out of, of the delay tactics here in, in the sense of appealing and appealing and appealing right. because what the court ruled which is just as important as the substance in here is that he only has until next monday to file that emergency request with the supreme court they do plan to do that but but essentially what would what would the other options for recourse be right uh, there, there really aren't that many so on a party who loses at a federal court of appeal can typically take a case to the whole appeals court or the Supreme Court. Now, as, as you noted, Caitlin, they, in their order today, they made very clear that the, that pretty much on Monday, uh, this goes back to the trial court unless the Supreme Court steps in. So we would anticipate that the foreign president would appeal this up to the Supreme Court. Um, it's in some way they're going to end up getting the case. Now, whether they decide to take it on or rule on it is an open question. But, you know, uh, it's, it's not going to trial on Monday, but, but that's the next step. Shan, how, how do you see it in the sense of we, Judge Chuck can just took this case off of the court calendar. Could we see, soon see it added back on, do you think? Uh, we could. I mean, she'd have to first reconvene it and get a sense of, you know, where things stand in terms of the preparations. Um, I, I agree with Elliot. They're a little bit boxed in now because of the way the D.C. Circuit um, set some conditions. If they do go to the en banc, that it would kind of recommence the trial. Although I have to say, from Trump's team's point of view, I don't think they really care that much about it. The, they're happy with start, stop, start, stop, as long as there's more stopping than starting. So I think the name of the game for them is still to delay it as much as possible. So I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if they also tried to go on banc. Well, Elliot, uh, or uh, Shan, can you just clarify exactly what that would mean? Okay, so if someone who didn't go to law school is watching uh, and you're, the options here are to file this emergency request to the Supreme Court or they can go back and instead of just the three judges on this appeals court, they could ask all, right. I, I believe, 11 that it is here? Right. They could ask the entire circuit uh, to review it. The circuit might decide not to do that. But if they do that, the D.C. Circuit, the panel that made the ruling said, if you go that route, rather than just going to the Supreme Court, we're going to start the clock ticking again um, right. on the trial case. And if they go to the Supreme Court, the panel that issued the ruling says, we'll hold off on restarting the pace until we hear from the Supreme Court first. Elliot, it's important to note who made up these these three judges, because oftentimes when there's an, a ruling that the Trump team doesn't like, they, they go after the judges. There is a conservative 
judge on this court, right. Judge Henderson, who has ruled in Trump's favor on things previously. Everyone is watching her very closely. I think the question is, if it goes to the Supreme Court, how are they going to look at an opinion or a ruling that is written the way that this one was tonight? Well, again, they are, you know, to use the Latin lawyer term, sui generis, their own thing, the Supreme Court. And so I don't think they're obligated to follow what what came before. But let's be clear, looking at how this opinion was written, it was called a per curiam decision. It was not signed by any one judge. They wrote with one voice as opposed to, say, one person writing it and the other two signing their names to it. They were very clear about making this a unanimous, strong, forceful opinion. And I also think that might have been a signal to the other judges on the D.C. Circuit saying that, look, we're all in agreement here. You know, anybody else speak now if you, if you have a problem with this. So I, th- I do think it was assigned to the Supreme Court that th- certainly these three judges are unanimous on it. And, and I would think that the rest, many or a majority of the D.C. Circuit is in agreement as well. Yeah. And you just heard Tim Parlatori, a Trump attorney, saying he thinks it would be very unlikely the Supreme Court would overturn this. Yeah. Elliot Williams, Shan Wu, great to have both of you here tonight. We have a lot more as we are digging into this incredibly important immunity ruling. We're going to speak to Trump's former national security advisor, John Bolton. He's here in studio. But first tonight, you got to see it to believe what happened on the Hill. It was a spectacular fail. House Republicans who are in the majority called a vote, but were unable to follow through on what they've been promising to do for weeks, if not months. Impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. There were three Republican holdouts. We'll tell you all the drama ahead. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life. I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff, and some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. High drama on the House floor tonight where there's rarely a vote where we don't actually know what the outcome is going to be beforehand. But House Speaker Mike Johnson learned that the hard way tonight and led to a stunning defeat for House Republicans. Their swing at a historic impeachment of the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security failed. Despite House Speaker Johnson just expressed confidence earlier today that Republicans did have the votes to do so, and despite months of investigations by the GOP, a handful of House Republicans voted against the impeachment, sinking it for today at least. We do believe they'll revisit it in the future. One of them was Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin, who said afterward that impeachment will set a dangerous new precedent that will be weaponized against future Republican administrations. All of this is coming as Republican members also lined up to kill their own immigration bill today, one that they spent months demanding and also hammering out behind closed doors over in the Senate. Seeing as Melanie Zanona is on Capitol Hill, where all the action is. Melanie, I I mean, 
I can't even really imagine what it was like to be uh, on the Hill in this moment. But I imagine there were people who were caught off guard when there was one lawmaker who showed up, a Democrat that they were not, the Republicans clearly were not expecting, who was in scrubs tonight. Hospital scrubs and no shoes as he's being wheeled on to the House floor. It was quite a scene. Republicans were very surprised by this. Now, this vote was always going to be close. We knew heading into it, it was going to be a nail biter. But had Al Green remained absent, this impeachment vote would have prevailed. So Republicans are really saying now that, you know, they need to keep pushing forward with this vote. They are planning to bring it back up again next week. They're confident that when Steve Scalise, who's been battling cancer, he's been receiving cancer treatments, when he returns, that they are going to have the votes to impeach him. But no doubt, this was an embarrassing defeat on the House floor. And really, it was a huge gamble by Speaker Mike Johnson to put this resolution on the floor, knowing that they didn't necessarily have the votes and not knowing what the whip count was. I talked to some lawmakers after the vote. Steve Womack, he's a longtime lawmaker. He said it's been hard to sit there and watch all of this play out. So just a lot of frustrations inside the GOP right now and a lot of questions about their ability to govern. Caitlin. Many of those. Melanie Zanona, thank you. And luckily to ask some of those questions, we are joined tonight by Republican Congressman Tim Burchett, who voted for the impeachment, I should note tonight. Congressman, why put why did leadership put this bill on the floor if it if it didn't have the votes to pass? Well, there could be a lot of reasons. Republicans generally don't use the carrot or the stick like the Democrats have done in the past. You've seen on the floor where votes have been dragged out and they circle them in the leadership and whisper in their ear and tell them things that they maybe are not too comfortable hearing. But we don't do that. We allow for the free thinking of okay. others. And, well, actually, and, Congressman, and frankly, it just... Congressman, I like, I like, I want to hear your answer and I like to, to let people talk when they're a guest on this show. But I do have to say... There were reports that people were going up to Congressman Mike Gallagher after he had voted against impeachment. Oh, sure. I'm sure there were. But it wasn't any orchestrated thing. It was different people. I, you know, I, I asked somebody, I asked Matt Gates or one of them, I said, where is Gallagher? And they said, we don't know. And so I don't know where he was, but obviously folks are allowed to do that and they do that. And, you know, if, if they... Um, whatever way they used to or tried to convince him. Obviously, it wasn't very successful, but obviously the speaker knows that these folks will go home and they do know the lack of popularity that that they have, um, this vote will have with the base. So I suspect we'll be coming back next week and you'll probably see a different outcome. What about what Congressman Gallagher said, though, in his statement that this is setting y'all setting a precedent that this will happen when Republicans are in the White House? Well, it's already happened when Republicans were in the White House. We um, the Democrats impeached Trump twice and but not a member of the cabinet. That's historic. Well, (laughs) the president is is, it ranks above above the uh, the cabinet, I would state. I just think this is just the way we're going to be in for the, for quite some time until calmer heads prevail, ma'am, because folks are, are aggravated. And, and honestly, I mean, the uniparty runs this thing. It's not the Democrats or Republicans. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves, of the, of the crazy spending, taking in $5 trillion, spending $7 trillion every year and trying to explain but that on to Republicans, But can I ask about Republicans specifically? Because what we saw in the, in today just alone— the effort to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary that y'all been trying to do for months failed. 
Republicans lined up right. to, to sink the bill that Republicans have been negotiating for four months on immigration and the standalone well, bill to send aid to Israel tonight also failed in the House. I mean, well, doesn't that I, add to the perception would, that you guys can't govern? Well, I mean, sure it does at CNN, but the American public understands that that deal in the Senate was cut behind the scenes. It had nothing to do with Republicans or Democrats. I mean, let, let's look at the reality of what's going on with immigration. Republicans never, have said you guys it, can't it, govern. Chip Roy, I, he's a te- he's was just here last night. He's not... He doesn't work at CNN. He is a member, a colleague of yours in the I'm House sure. Republican. And, and Chip's very frustrated. But you asked me about the Senate bill, and I'm trying to explain that to you. That was done behind closed doors. You have an, our national chambers of commerce who have stopped any any meaningful immigration reform because they, they like somebody being on the roof that if they fall off, that has no real legal recourse. They, they're afraid they're going to be... Um, be reported to immigration and will be will be transferred out of the country. So they have that great fear. This is about cheap and free labor, ma'am. It has nothing to do without okay, doing what's were, right for the poor people in Central America. There and were you other have efforts included in that ma'am? as well. There were other efforts included 000. in that as well. I'm, I'm talking about what happened with Israel as well. This effort that, that y'all have been pursuing on the DHS secretary, Congressman Tim Burchett. That's all of our time tonight, though. Uh, thank you for joining us. And for reaction to that, I want to bring in Democratic Congresswoman Veronica Escobar. Congresswoman, uh, I wonder, just can you kind of explain what the scene was uh, on the House floor tonight when it became clear Republicans did not have the vote to follow through on this impeachment? Hi, Caitlin. Thanks so much for having me on. You know, we knew all day that it was up in the air. I mean, the Republicans that had concerns aired those concerns in their meeting, in the Republican conference meeting this morning. There was talk all day about the fact that Republicans may not have the votes for this sham and very political impeachment. And yet the House uh, Speaker decided to bring it to the floor anyway, believing that he and Marjorie Taylor Greene could bully their colleagues into submission. And thankfully, uh, the three who voted against this impeachment held firm to their principles, even when others in the party who didn't agree with this strategy folded. These three held to their principles. And as a result, it was a spectacular failure on the part of the Speaker of the House, on on the part of the House GOP. And I hope the American people see over and over and over again that the Republican Party is unwilling to govern. They are uninterested in addressing our great challenges head on, and they are far more interested in political performance. Yeah, I do think it's important to note, though, that this is expected to be a short-lived victory for Democrats because, as Melanie was noting, just other Republicans, including Steve Scalise, a member of House leadership, once they show up, would be able to vote for it. Uh, I mean, so this will eventually happen and he will he is expected to 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 be impeached that is very possible they could bring it back and they could have the votes the bottom line though is that what they are doing is a political part of their political circus secretary mayorkas is a dedicated public servant he is the most accessible uh, member of the cabinet of any cabinet that i've ever worked with and i represent a border community so i am on the phone with him frequently and the truth is house republicans 
and frankly now we see Senate Republicans do not want a solution, not for immigration reform, not for border reform, pretty much not for anything. And they will do everything in their power to distract from their dysfunction and to keep Americans on a treadmill of rage so that they can keep getting reelected. Republicans, obviously, as you noted, they sank their own immigration bill. I mean, there's a lot of frustration in the Senate. Uh, House Republicans are happy about it. As you heard, Congressman Tim Burchett, he does not support it there. That is obviously on Republicans. But on the border itself, President Biden is the president. Uh, We've even seen Democrats acknowledging it's a crisis at the border. So what should Mm -hmm. President Biden and what should Democrats do here? Well, I have a bipartisan comprehensive immigration reform bill called the Dignity Act of 2023. It addresses the border and beyond. It addresses everything that has gone uh, without congressional uh, action or legislation for over 30 years. And the, the fact of the matter is, Caitlin, that President Biden and Secretary Mayorkas at every turn get stymied by Republicans. Republicans uh, keep complaining that Secretary Mayorkas isn't doing everything he can. These are the same folks who withhold funding to the Department of Homeland Security. The the, uh, Senate Democrat, uh, uh, Senator Chris Murphy, for four months worked with one of the most conservative members in the Senate. And, and in fact, Senator Murphy has gotten beaten up by some Democrats who say he gave Republicans way too much. But that's still not enough for Republicans because they don't want a solution. So if Republicans are interested in finally addressing this chronic issue that our country has faced, they should join the bipartisan coalition that is on the House Dignity Act of 2023 Mm -hmm. and get this done. It is Congress's job. It's on us. The reason that we are in a state of crisis is because of the crisis of leadership in Congress. Congresswoman Veronica Escobar, we look forward to talking to you about this issue more going ahead. Thank you for your time tonight. Thank you. Meanwhile, Donald Trump fundraising off his immunity loss from today from the federal appeals court. But there are political implications to today's ruling as well. We'll speak to John Bolton right after a quick break. Tonight, former President Trump fundraising off of his latest loss in court and repeating things tonight that are similar to his collection of greatest hits. A president of the United States has to have immunity. Do you have to have guaranteed immunity for a president? Otherwise, a president's not going to be able to function. Harry Truman would not have done... (laughs) Harry Truman would not have done Hiroshima, Nagasaki. If a president of the United States does not have immunity, he'll be totally ineffective because he won't be able to do anything. The question now is, do we continue to hear those arguments after three federal judges essentially smashed them into pieces? Here tonight, John Bolton, the former Trump national security advisor, who was also the former head of the DOJ civil division under President Ronald Reagan. So perfect to talk about this. What did you make of the ruling today? Well, I thought the result was correct uh, for the case they had. Uh, But unlike some people, I don't think the opinion itself was that great. I think it was confused and muddy in its analysis of where the immunity applied and where it didn't apply. I think the cleanest way to have written this opinion was to say nothing that was alleged in the indictment that Trump did uh, were official actions. They were the actions of a, of a candidate for office. Uh, the indictment starts off saying he was trying to contest the election. 
that veered into criminality. I mean, by definition, uh, no official act of the president uh, can, can be something that gets him involved in criminal activity. This, this was private behavior, not public behavior. So you don't think that they were they were clear enough on that? Because there was one part where it said, you know, he claims this, these are official actions, but what's alleged here, you know, inserting yourself into the electoral count process has nothing to do with the presidency. They made right. that part clear. That, that's correct. That's why I say that part of the, of the reasoning of the court is confused, and it could afford some justices on the Supreme Court uh, an interest in taking the case, not to change the result, but to change and, and fix the reasoning uh, correctly so that future cases uh, involving presidents or senior executive branch officials uh, are not confused by the reasoning that the district. Do you think it goes to the Supreme Court? Well, I don't, I don't know. I think it's, uh, there, there are a lot of ways the court could, uh, could, could split this. They could, for example, allow the mandate of the Court of Appeals to issue, allow the district court to proceed in the interest of judicial efficiency, and yet consider and grant certiorari on the larger issue. Or another jurisdictional issue, this one I think the court, uh, court of Appeals could have gotten wrong, where they said they did have jurisdiction to take an interlocutory appeal. There was mm -hmm. a, it's very strange, an amicus brief, not Jack Smith, not Donald Trump, but an amicus brief argued that the immunity issue should come after trial. Right. But even Trump and Jack Smith's team said, no, well, let's decide it now. So that was the jurisdiction. But I think the big takeaway when people look at this is, does it mean this trial happens soon? Well, another way the court, the Supreme Court could approach it is to say, we agree immunity should be decided after trial, but hmm. you should present facts at trial that, that prove that this is not official action, Jack Smith. That's your burden to show the president wasn't carrying out official duties, because there are circumstances where something the president does is mixed. In part, it is official, but in part, it's private behavior, too. So, for example, in an obstruction of justice scheme, should be illegal. Perhaps the president grants somebody a pardon. Now, the, the, the case law is basically a president's pardon power is unrestrained. That, that's a complicated issue. That's not what we have here. This was all unofficial conduct, but that's not what the Court of Appeals opinion gets into. CNN is reporting tonight that on Thursday, that's when his legal team's going before the Supreme Court. A separate issue, but that's on the 14th Amendment whether he can be on the ballot in all 50 states, since some have tried to remove him and some have removed him. He's not going to go. What do you make of his decision that he's shown up to other court cases, but he's not going to go to that one? I think in this case, he's worried that he's outnumbered nine to one. It's not just some district judge somewhere, some state court judge in New York. These are, this is the Supreme Court. This is the third branch of government sitting in front of him, three of whose members he appointed. And I think he thinks maybe a little overawed by that. I, I think he's chickening out here. How does he view the Supreme Court? I mean, you worked for him. I don't think he understands the Supreme Court much better than he understands most of the rest of the Constitution. Uh, and I think those who think that his appointees will just do what he wants and are afraid of that, I don't think they know really the kinds of justices he appointed. I think he's going to be disappointed in them. Ambassador John Bolton, it's always, it's great to have you. Nice to have you here in person. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. Also, we have another historic verdict separate from politics today. The mother of the school shooter, Ethan Crumbly, found guilty on all counts. What we're hearing from the jury for woman tonight.
I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. A Michigan jury handing down an unprecedented decision today, finding that Jennifer Crumbly, the mother of the school shooter Ethan Crumbly, is guilty of four counts of involuntary manslaughter, one count for each student that her son killed at Oxford High School in 2021. She is now the first parent of a school shooter to be directly held responsible for their killings. Prosecutors argued that she and her husband were culpable because they had given their son a gun, even though they knew he was struggling with mental health and had contemplated violence in the past. Listen to what the jury forewoman told CNN about what convinced the jury of her guilt. The thing that really hammered at home is that she was the last adult with the gun. I want to bring in Joey Jackson, CNN's legal analyst and criminal defense attorney who has been all over this. Were you surprised by the verdict today? So I was. And let me say this. There was certainly ample evidence to convict. The question for me is, would the jury actually do so, right? Evaluating those three issues, foreseeability, was it foreseeable that Ethan Crumbly would engage in that behavior. Their son, as a result of having this gun there, was she on notice of his mental health maladies and did she act reasonably? And since, obviously, Ethan Crumbly did it, convicted, pled guilty, uh, serving life without parole, would the jury now impute that to her? And so I was thinking, will they do that? And so to the extent that they did do it, Caitlin, game changer, not only in Michigan, but throughout the country. Yeah, it has major implications here, but but most immediately... Her husband here was a big factor of of her defense, essentially kind of putting a lot of it or all of it really on him. He still has to to stand trial. What does his legal team take from this? Do they do anything differently? I think that you're very concerned if you're his legal team. Remember, one of the really basis of her defense was that it was on him. What was on him? He was the person who purchased the gun. He was the one who stored the gun. He was the one who was really into the gun issue and hiding the gun. And so if you're blaming him, and the jury concludes, while you say guns were not my thing, she testified, and they convict you, certainly, not that she didn't blame the school too, she did, but I think to the extent that he was the person really dealing with the gun, I think he could be in significant legal peril. School shootings happen so often in America. It yeah. obviously will inevitably happen again, unfortunately. What are the implications of this for something going forward? So, uh, number one, I think it's a big deterrent, right? I think you're going to see parents really be heads up about this stuff, right? This was a case involving negligence. Were you negligent? Were you careful enough as a parent to really assess your child? Is there any issue? And really give a gun to your child in this situation. You might see less as a result of that because I think parents will be more on guard and more vigilant. Mm. Goodness forbid this does happen. I think parents are going to have to be on the lookout because there's going to be accountability. That's what this verdict spoke to, Caitlin. Yeah, and now a precedent. Joey Jackson, great to have you as always. Thank you so much. We also have breaking news that we are following here at The Source tonight about the chairwoman of the Republican National Committee. Donald Trump has been pushing for her to step aside. Our breaking news right after a quick break. 
We have some breaking news for you tonight as the chairwoman of the Republican National Committee, Ronna Romney-McDaniel, has now offered to step down from her post following the South Carolina primary, which obviously is slated for the end of this month. Sources are telling me and my colleagues here at CNN that she told Trump about those plans and doing so in order to allow the former president when it comes to who the next leader of the RNC is. I should note that person is elected by the body of the RNC, not just installed by the former president. But let's get more insight from someone who knows this as well as anyone, the former communications director for the Republican National Committee, Doug Hyde. Doug, I wonder what you make of this breaking news that Ronna McDaniel is expected to be stepping down soon. You know, how many times in a sitcom, Caitlin, have we seen somebody say, you can't, you can't fire me because I quit? And essentially, that's what Ronna uh, Romney McDaniel is doing here. Donald Trump and his team have made it very clear for not just weeks now, but months, uh, that when they were going to be able to take over the reins of the committee, her time was going to be limited. I think it's a smart preactive or proactive move um, by, by the chairwoman. We'll see who comes next. It looks right now like it will be Michael Watley, the general counsel, um, somebody I've known for a long time from North Carolina. He's the head of the party there. But as we know, Nothing's official with Donald Trump until the decision is definitely made. And even after then, uh, there's still a lot of shuffling that can be done. What do you make, though, just of the move overall, given what you were just saying? You know, you can't quit if you're fired. Clearly, Trump was unhappy with her in recent days, suggesting there could be changes at the RNC before this came out, before she had this two-hour meeting with Trump at Mar-a-Lago in recent days. But, I mean, she is someone who was incredibly loyal to Trump. The RNC was paying a lot of his legal fees when he was president. I mean, at one point, he was irritated by her relation to Senator Mitt Romney. I mean, what do you just make of how this has come full circle or however you would call it? Well, it's a lesson that we see so often with Donald Trump is that he brings somebody on uh, and then very quickly or, you know, over a space of time, he's unhappy with them for whatever reason. He brought Reince Priebus, the former RNC uh, chair as chief of staff. He lasted about six months. Sean Spicer sorted the same thing. And we learned this lesson over and over again with Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't give points. He only takes them away one at a time. And anybody who goes to work for Donald Trump knows that at some point their luck could run out and their loyalty certainly could as well. Yeah. And I should note an RNC spokesperson sent us a statement tonight saying no changes currently to announce. Doug High, thanks as always for hopping on with us on this breaking news. Thank you. Up next here on The Source, grab your Red Solo cup because join us. We are remembering the country music legend, my personal hero as a child, Toby Keith. Red Solo cup, I fill you up. Let's have a party. Let's have a party. We leave you with some heartbreaking news tonight as one of the biggest stars to ever come out of Nashville, Toby Keith has died following his battle with stomach cancer. He was 62 years old. He was a larger-than-life country star. He rose to fame in 1993 with his debut single, Should Have Been a Cowboy, which was played three million times on the radio, making it the most played country song of the 90s. He went on to have 42 top 10 hits on Billboard's country music chart after that, which he said surprised him including Red Solo Cup, one of my personal favorites, How Do You Like Me Now? How do you like me now? How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my way, you still think I'm crazy standing here today. 
He was a staple for so many, including me growing up. I always asked my parents to play his songs on the radio when we were in the car, even though my siblings wanted to listen to whatever was popular in pop music at that time. But tonight, country music fans and stars alike, and myself, raising a red solo cup in Toby Keith's honor. Thinking of his family and friends tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. CNN Newsnight with Abby Phillips starts right now. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.